0: Welcome to episode 422 with my returned guest, Kimberly Quinlan. Today's episode is sponsored by Josie and Johnny are having a baby with you. It's a podcast that follows comedians Josie Long and Johnny Donahoe through the not totally planned pregnancy and uh, preparing for the birth. And each episode, they sit down with actors, writers, entertainers who are also parents, Trying to help them figure out uh, how to be a parent. People like John Hodgman, Jane Marie, Eugene Merman, and Rachel Sklar. So listen and subscribe to Josie and Johnny are having a baby with you in your podcast app right now. Uh, today's episode with uh, with Kimberly Quinlan. You know the, the last time we had around, we talked about um, OCD, pure O, as they call it, which is uh, just obsessive uh, thoughts and. Today, we're going to talk about two types of OCD, scrupulosity, which has to do with religious obsessions and the fear of sinning or having sinned and going to hell, and sexual orientation OCD. Uh, we're also going to play a game called Newspaper Headline. Um, I hope you guys, I hope you dig it. I think you will. She's such a she's such a great guest, great therapist. Uh, I am... Coming to you from the mountains, I had to get out of the city. Sunday night. It was, uh, actually, it was late Saturday night, early Sunday morning. I was just um, thinking, man, I haven't seen nature in forever. And I just came up here. It's a few hours north of Los Angeles. And they're getting dumped with snow. And so right now I'm uh, sitting looking out the window and it's snowing outside. And there's a little part of me that's like, oh, I should be out there playing in the snow. But um, there will be there'll be time for that. Uh, I'm solo right now. My friend Colin's going to uh, drive up and, and join me tomorrow. And hopefully we're going to get to maybe ski a little bit um, but I've been here, this is my second full day here, and uh, it's kind of bittersweet going if you've ever gone uh, out of town by yourself because, I don't know, there's there's like a certain freedom and pride, I feel, when I go and do something vacation-like on my own Um because I know it's, it's a sign that I don't need other people in a good way. Don't need other people. Independence, I think that's a better word for it. Because I do need people. Just not for every aspect of my life. And as the loneliness hit me last night, I was like, let me see if there are any support group meetings in the area. And of course, there was. Two blocks away. So uh, I put on all my warm clothing uh, because the wind was probably about 40 miles an hour. And uh, as I'm, I'm, I, I get to the building where the meeting is supposed to be, and there's a little sign that says the meeting is changed, it's now next door. And next door is about 50 feet below this building. And between the two is a snow-covered hillside. So I can either walk all the way back out the parking lot to the street, walk down the street, and go to this building, or (laughs) you can see where this is going. I can try to navigate this snow-covered hillside because I'm looking down on the roof of the building where the meeting has moved to and being the jackass I am, I decide how hard can it be to go down this snow covered slope in 40 mile an hour wind, nearly pitch black. I take one step and it's not a hillside. It is, Essentially, they have gotten so much snow up here, it's like the movie The Shining. And this hillside, there might have been earth underneath it, but my first step in, I went right up to my nuts. In the, in the Sorry to, sorry to <laughs> paint that picture for you, but it had never occurred to me that the taint can actually keep you from drowning in snow. Instead of backing out, I'm like, you know what, let's commit to it. And snow is going up my pant leg, in my shoes, down my sock. Next step, right. <laughs> Same thing. Just just punishing my balls like they owe me money. And then I decide, well, instead of five more minutes of this plunging into snow, maybe I'll turn on my side and roll. Fifty-six <laughs> year old man, fifty-six year old man. I, that that didn't work out too well, the rolling. Um, <laughs> I don't even remember what happened. I just remember there was snow in every square inch of my clothing. And I finally made it, and I was praying that somebody wasn't going to be walking up and see me just like a child on candy. And also, I was late, so there was no sense of patience to this. It was, I was, I was going down this hillside like, I was on fire and there was a bucket of water at the bottom of it. Somehow I thought if I do this quicker, it won't be as bad. And maybe it was, I don't know. But I did eventually make it down and stumbled into the meeting looking like I'd just been hit by a snowplow. But I got to feel that camaraderie in the, in the meeting and it was, it was really nice. And one of the topics in the meeting was about making apologies to people and some of the stuff that came up i i wanted to share because i think they're really important things um when it comes to making apologies to people and the first thing and these are all things that i have learned in the in the recent years that i never i never was aware of kind of how mediocre my apologies were until so I had to take a good, hard look at them because something that I would do was... My intent wasn't always good in making an apology. My intent, I discovered, was to look good at the end of it, not to do it for the sake of the other person. And to put aside the fear that this person is going to use me admitting I did something wrong against me in the future and to put aside the fear that, well, if I apologize about this, then that's going to make them think that what they did is okay. That's not what an apology is about. You know, It's about cleaning up our side of the street so that we can lay our head down on our pillow at night and know that we have done the right thing. That person— That's up to them whether or not they want to apologize to us because we can't control that. And the way that I discovered that I had kind of these fucked up intentions and views about apologizing was when I first got sober and I started apologizing to people, they were all met with really great energy by these people. And when I apologized to a guy, it was after a a, a hockey game and – This guy didn't accept my apology, and it caught me off guard, and I felt rage, and I looked at it afterwards, and I realized that's because my intent wasn't pure in apologizing to this guy. I wanted him to forgive me. I wanted him to apologize for having been a dick on the ice, but he didn't, and I felt rage, and I had to find a way to make peace with that and and i i had to it took me a while because i felt like well he's wrong but making an apology isn't about expecting the other person to react in a certain way and i had to let go of that i had to let go of the the hate i felt at that guy and the other thing that that came up in talking about apologies And it's taken me a while to get to this place when I make an apology today is to put myself in the person's shoes and try to imagine what it was like to feel what whatever feelings might have come up when I wronged them. You know, maybe it was somebody I belittled in front of other people, you know, trying to be funny and making a joke that cut a little too deep. And instead of just trying to get it over with so I could get credit for making an apology, it was to do it for that person, hoping that the byproduct of it, not the major intent, but the byproduct of it, would be that I could release that guilt and shame and feel good about myself. Today's episode is sponsored by Policy Genius. Uh, do you feel that you understand life insurance well enough to feel comfortable buying it? Probably not. Well, Policy Genius makes it easy for you to compare quotes from top insurers, get advice, and get cover. Just apply online, and the advisors at Policy Genius will handle all the red tape. They'll even negotiate your rate with the insurance company. There's no extra fees, no commissions, sales agents. That's really important. Just helpful advice and personalized service. And policy genius doesn't just make life insurance easy. If you're shopping for homeowner's insurance, auto insurance, or disability insurance to protect your income, they can help you get covered fast. I've checked out their website. It's super simple. And why would you ever navigate multiple company websites trying to remember what each one covers and comparing their rates when you can do it on a website that brings all of that information so you can compare them right there. So no matter how much or how little you know about life insurance, you can find the right policy in minutes at policygenius.com. PolicyGenius genius. The easy way to compare and buy life insurance. Today's episode is also sponsored by BetterHelp.com. If you've never tried online therapy, I'm a a huge proponent of it. i am doing it for a couple of years with them, and uh, I love it. I love it. I don't have to leave my house, which is nice. I can do it in my pajamas. How do you not beat crying, having a cathartic moment in slippers? You can't beat that. So if you want to try it out, go to betterhelp.com mental, fill out a questionnaire and they'll match you with a betterhelp.com counselor to see if online counseling is right for you and you need to be over 18. All right, we're going to do a quick survey before we get to the interview with Kimberly. This was filled out by a guy who calls himself Kramer. And about his depression, this is a struggle in a sentence, about his depression, he writes, uh, a gray fog where I am not even worthy of the little energy I have that day. About his ADD, I know I am capable of great, brilliant things, but they are always just ever so out of my reach. That is such a good one. About his love addiction, but what if this time it's different? Oh, that's so good. About his compulsive behaviors his uh, masturbation and porn addiction. Well, I fucked up now and fell off the wagon. Let's see how my mangled cock can get. Let's see how mangled my cock can get in the next six hours of binging. And then a snapshot from his life. Standing in front of my father's guest bathroom mirror while everyone was asleep, naked, with my cock in my hand, looking at myself dead in the eyes, tears welling up. Shaking from sleep exhaustion, trying to decide if I'm going to sneak out and go to a brothel that's a 10-minute walk away.
1: Nobody's Nobody's cool and everyone's everyone's scared scared. and And we're just just all all in in this this together. together. There was no joy.
0: Overeating. Apathy doesn't leave any marks. Numbing out. Physically. I wish that I was a girl. Panic attacks were so violent. Rudderless. They were mistaken for seizures. Shot coke in my neck. The TV was talking to me. Romantically, I am becoming the woman that I feared. He said, There's going to be a the hunger strike. Nothing's real. And I'm going to die. Sometimes I just go, Hey, I can't deal. Just beyond broken. I'm out. You have to, like, fantasize
1: about the person I'm with.
0: I'm going to stop it.
1: Fucking someone else.
0: It's okay to be licensed marriage and family therapist. And, uh, one of the things that you specialize in is OCD. And we talked about pure O, uh, last time you were here, and we're going to talk about some different kinds of OCD this time. We're going to talk about scrupulosity and gender identity or mm-hmm. sexuality, S- uh,
1: sexual orientation, obsessive compulsive disorder.
0: Great. Um, And then we're going to play a game, uh, called newspaper headline, which (laughs) sounds really exciting. We'll explain (laughs) that when we, when we get to it. But let's, um, let's start with scrupulosity. Sure. And explain what that is.
1: Right. So, um, with, let me sort of just go back and do a quick mini review if for people who haven't listened to the first one pod, podcast we did together, which is obsessive compulsive disorder involves having an obsession, which is usually a deep, deep fear of something that's impu- It's intrusive. It's repetitive. It, it terrorizes the person. And in effort to make that go away, they'll do some, a set of compulsive behaviors, which then means it goes into a really big cycle. So then when we talk about scrupulosity or religious obsessive compulsive disorder the fear is usually that they have sinned in some way or that they will sin in some way and that that will therefore lead to the consequence that they will go to an afterlife or to hell or to a place that um, is very very much against their morals and values
0: isn't that (laughs) Catholicism.
1: Well, that's why this is so complex and difficult to pull apart because in other types of OCD, you might say, Well, you know, I have this fear of harming my baby, and we do traditional cognitive behavioral therapy and exposure and response prevention. But with scrupulosity, there we can, with the others, we can kind of go, That's silly, you know, I know it's crazy. But often with religious obsessions, the religion that they practice actually um, double up and back the, the fear, back the yes. obsession. It's tough.
0: That, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, that makes total sense. Um, so uh, talk more about it.
1: Well, so I'll give you some examples, just mm-hmm. so maybe your listeners can can relate.
0: And and if you would talk about uh, the dissonance, by the way, uh, you know people that think that because they're thinking a thought, that means that they want to do it. Right. The right. moral, what I forget what the word is, moral dissonance or something that you.
1: Right. Right. So. So with with. with obsessions, when we have a thought, right? And we all have crazy, messed up, stupid thoughts, right? Immoral,
0: Uh, dark, twisted. Just
1: terrible. Like we would use like absolutely disgusting thoughts. We all have them, right? And so in fact, they're not disgusting. We just perceive them to be or not. Um, And so often when we have those thoughts, we have that split second where we can go, okay, that was a thought. That's crazy. Or for those who have obsessive compulsive disorder, you know, in this, in this way that it presents, they can immediately assume that because they thought it. Therefore, it must be their true nature, their true desire and yearning, which is incredibly confusing. And so people. cruel to oneself. So cruel, yeah. right. I mean, I think anytime if we had a thought, you know, I always joke up to my husband that I just have this. Every time I see, uh, like a wheel, in Australia, we call it a wheelie bin. You guys call it a a trash bin. Right, What do you call it? Yeah. Okay. We call it a wheelie bin because it's got wheels. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but when I see those, I have this incredible impulse to hit it when I'm driving my car. I don't know why. It's, it's strange. But I have this, I just have this image of it flying over across the, my car and it's very joyous. But if I got too caught up in what that means about me, I could very quickly come to the conclusion that I'm a crazy person. Right, And so with religious obsessions, if you have an intrusive thought, let's say around um, if I while I pray, I accidentally look down. And what if looking down means I was praying to the devil? And then I really like I said, I went in and I tried to figure out what that means. I'm going to have a very difficult time trying talking myself out of being a horrible person. Yeah.
0: That's, that's home field advantage for the OCD (laughs) is when you try to dissect, right. You know what that means about you more morally. Right. Right. Right.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think when it comes to, you're talking about like that dissonance, it's, it's, it's understanding immediately once you see that cycle that we don't want to solve that anymore, that you won't make sense of it. OCD is the disorder of uncertainty. And, and the thing is, There is very little that you can actually grasp certainty on.
0: Yeah. I I think once you make peace with the idea that, you know, the brain burps and farts (laughs) and it has its own little animation festivals to deal with how crazy life is. Mm Or whatever the reason is, right. it doesn't matter. No. You know, thank it for sharing right. and move on with your day.
1: Right, but can you imagine what it's like to have a thought, but then have a religious affiliation also back you? and be sharing that that's actually wrong. Oh, man. Right?
0: The religions that tell you morally what it is that you're thinking is who you are, right. that is among the most fucked up, untrue, damaging things right. you can tell somebody. Right,
1: right. And for, and and try telling it to someone who has these thoughts repetitively and intrusively all day long. And I mean all day long. You can imagine trying to brush your teeth, Without thinking, uh, you know, a horrible thought about your your you know spiritual guidance leader or or your even your rabbi or you, know, you can imagine trying to get through having brushing your teeth or having a shower while not you know while having those thoughts.
0: Oh, you mean a sexual thought about those people?
1: It could be anything. Okay. You could have a harm thought. You could have, you know. Uh, sexual thought, you could have a thought about going to hell or wanting to, you know, be devious towards that person, right? Mm -hmm. Steal their money. A lot of people even have, because in the news, we constantly hear about people who, um, you know, kind of rip off the church, Mm -hmm. right? Like they're, these clients are genuine, religious, wonderful people, but they've seen in the news about someone who volunteered to be the secretary and stole $200,000 $200,000 from the church, they might even have the, that fear, you know, that they will harm their church by stealing money.
0: Right. And so when a person is in that situation, um, describe the difference between that and the person who is hatching a plan that well, wants to do it.
1: Right. And that's a huge part of my assessment, right? When I'm seeing a client. It, and for those who, you know, for the, anyone who's listening, unfortunately, there are very few really talented or educated OCD therapists. So if you don't have access to someone, you can often check in with yourself in terms of, you know, is this something that you enjoy? Is this something you're planning on doing? A good question to ask is, is it a desire or is it a fear of desire? Because there's a very big difference between the two. Right. I can, I can desire to hit um, a car, hit a wheelie bin, Hmm. or I can have a fear that I'm going to hit a wheelie bin or desire to hit a wheelie bin. They're two entirely different scenarios.
0: Gotcha. Hmm. Uh, So yours is a fear that you're going to hit one. Oh, no.
1: no, no. I'm giving an example of a desire (laughs) for myself. But for my clients, I use, I use that example with clients of like, no, non OCD sufferers have crazy thoughts too, because I personally don't have OCD, Um, but um, people who do have OCD are completely overwhelmed with fear Mm -hmm. day in and day out that this fear might happen or they're afraid it did happen and they can't recall it.
0: Uh, One that I hear a lot and I share is sometimes if I'm up on a roof is the fear that my body is going to take me off the roof, even though I don't want to like some type of something's going to come over me. And for two seconds, it will seem like a good idea.
1: Right. Right. Well, what you're talking about is this incredible, incredibly amazing human experience that we have, which is an urge, right? It's this feeling that comes up within us that makes us feel like we could jump off that parking lot structure. Or we, you know, we could, you know, grab the steak knife that I'm holding as I eat my delicious filet mignon and stab the waiter or the waitress, right? Well, they had
0: it coming. Your food was (laughs) late and your steak was cold. I tasted spit.
1: Yeah. (laughs) 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 But, but an urge is different to a thought An urge is a complete visceral experience we have within our entire body or areas of our body that feel like it's lifting us up out of our, our normal behaviors. It's incredibly scary, but it happens. It happens, you know, as a mom, I've had it so many times with my children of like fear of throwing my baby off the 18th floor of a, you know, tower in Australia or, Mm um, so we all have these urges. Um, but again, if you've got OCD, you're going to, you're going to have this need to find certainty on what that meant about me or Mm -hmm. you or them, whoever's suffering. Right. Crazy. It's so difficult because Why? Why did I have that urge? How can we explain that?
0: And when you say an urge, there's a difference between, God, it would be so fantastic to do this, and what is this thought that keeps bouncing around in my head that imagines what it would be like?
1: Right. Well, think of it as the urge, the way that I explain it with my clients is what we call the first and the second arrow. Right? So if you're out in hunter and gathering, I may have mentioned this. Did I talk about this last time? I can't remember. I can't, I can't remember. But what, the way I explain it is I was
0: sound asleep <laughs> the last interview. It was tedious. It was actually one of my favorite episodes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I do have the snore effect. That's not, I'm not, you're not the first. Um, no. So the first and second arrow is let's say you're in a hunt, you're a hunter and gatherer back in the, you know, the time of hunter and gathering and you're out gathering, you know, food for your family and you get hit by an arrow. The first arrow is the actual pain, right? The, the, the arrow hit me Ouch! that hurt, right? The second arrow is the arrow that we metaphorically place in ourselves, which is when we judge ourselves for that first arrow. Does that make sense? It makes
0: total sense. So
1: we all have a first arrow, and we all usually fall into the trap of second arrowing, right? On the first arrow, right? And so if you have an urge in and of itself is just a bodily experience, no different to. Uh, arousal that shows up in our body, or hunger that shows up in our body, or you know, boredom all of these, you know, feelings that we have are the first arrow. They're just events that happen to us. We don't really need to solve why. Mm-hmm. But when we go into the second arrow, which is trying to figure out what that means, right? And if the, and then of course, if you have that second arrow and you do find that it's joyous and pleasurable and is something you're planning on well that's a different story but for most of the time people with OCD really go to holy crap that would suck and I will do everything in my power to make sure that never ever happens ever again
0: but obsessing about it is not the way to go about making sure that it doesn't happen
1: no absolutely that's
0: feeding the loop right
1: goodness it's absolutely the wrong direction so imagine you're going up to a like a a, stru- a stop sign, and you've got a left sign, left turn, and a right. If you take the the left turn towards trying to solve what that means, you're going to be stuck on that roundabout for as long as you keep practicing that. Your 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 work is to take a right, right, mm-hmm. and p- basically go. Do you know, you know, the emoji where the girl shrugs and the mm. guy shrugs, Yeah, that's the that's the emoji for OCD. <laughs> you yeah. have to practice not knowing if to practice uncertainty, you have to practice that I'm not engaging in solving this experience that just showed up this first arrow that showed up in my body.
0: So how big is, um, obsession and the need, uh, not obsession, um, Perfectionism and the need to control in OCD. Is that pretty at the heart of it?
1: So much, so much. There are multiple themes within OCD that we have to find. And perfectionism is a huge one. Whether the person, and when I say perfectionism, people usually go, I'm not perfectionistic. Look at my room. It's a disaster. But that doesn't mean that you're not perfectionistic about the thoughts you have, right? Mm-hmm. You can be perfectionistic and... And your car is perfectly clean, but your kitchen is not, right. right? It doesn't, I mean, that's the whole point of anxiety. We often start to think in black and white thinking in hope to find some security that if I'm in this group, the black group, then I'm okay, but I can't be in the white group or vice versa, right? So we think in this all or nothing fashion. So that's one of the themes of perfectionism that gets us into trouble. Um, but yeah, you're right. Needing to have control is the main reason people do compulsions, right? How am, this is one of the biggest fears. How can I be certain that I don't snap and do something that will ruin my life or go so strongly against my values and morals that I lose everything, right? And you imagine trying to solve your life's future every day um, and making sure you don't break your moral code. That's exhausting, Right, But there are other themes like hyper awareness, right? So if I, we talked last time Mm -hmm. about sexual, you know, arousal, if you're hyper aware of arousal, you're going to be aroused most of the day because you're checking in with whether you're aroused, which therefore will cause arousal. So hyper awareness is another big theme.
0: I Mm. gotcha. So let's talk more about scrupulosity.
1: Sure. Oh, just go for it. Yeah, yeah, just go
0: for it. I know (laughs) nothing about it.
1: Okay. So scrupulosity shows up. The truth is OCD has a way of um, being very tricky. So I'm going to give you some examples. And if that doesn't happen to fall into the category of some of your listeners, I don't want them to feel like they don't have OCD. OCD just has a way of like sneaking in the back door wherever it can. So scrupulosity could be um, a fear that you're praying wrong right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a fear that you actually do want to side with the devil or whatever religious the dark side would be. Um, it might involve you saying prayers over and over again until it feels right, like quote unquote feels mm-hmm. right. And if and if it doesn't feel right, they might be up all night saying prayers. It might be uh, a, a, a case of hyper responsibility, right? So it can even show up in because I'm afraid that I'm going to go to hell, or I'm not going to be, um, you know, give, let through the gates of into heaven. I'm going to be super hyper responsible, and I'm going to take care of everybody, and I will never say a swear word, and um, you know, I I want to make sure I never harm a fly, vegetarian, and I want to, you know, so they're going above and beyond what they their true nature would do just in fear of not getting through the pearly gates. So, I mean, that's just some examples that we can see, but, you know, again, where it gets really difficult is with exposure and response prevention, which is the gold standard treatment, um, basically with exposure and response prevention, we have our clients do the thing they're most afraid to do right? So if you're afraid of harming somebody, I'm going to have you carry a knife in your pocket all day, right? Or if you're afraid of, um, let's say, um, being a pedophile, I'm going to have you watch, um, the gap commercial, right? And allow all of the pedophilia thoughts come through your mind, It's really hard with the scrupulosity clients because I'm going to ask them to actually pray to God, pray to the devil, because that's a part of the work that they will need to do to sort of undo all of that.
0: How hard is that for somebody to do? That must be like... (laughs) terrifying i mean i can understand you know petting a tarantula and <laughs> right. you know skydiving and all that other right. stuff but um that to somebody who is uber mm-hmm. religious
1: right that's that, got to
0: be terrifying
1: Uh well the truth is for those who don't have ocd it's terrifying so you can only imagine what it's like for someone who does right um and so absolutely it's terrifying so we start easy And the truth is I'll never have them do anything they don't want to do, right? Right. No, that's not true. I wouldn't have them do anything that they don't believe will help their OCD, right? But of course they're not going to want to do (laughs) OCD, exposure therapy. The truth is nobody wants to come into my office. Nobody (laughs) wants to see me. I always say to my clients, if you want to see me, I'm doing something wrong. Right. right because you should want dread sessions because that means I'm on the right track wow but um but that being said I'm going to be very sensitive to their religious beliefs and the the rules of their religion mm-hmm. um often what we will do is we will go directly to their minister rabbi leader and consult with them right and share with them that there is this mental health disorder it's a medical disorder it's not a made up term we educate them it's not
0: a spiritual sickness
1: no no and sometimes we have to educate the leaders on this fairly in depth because um, unfortunately nobody understands OCD as well as we would like and so I will consult with them and I will share with them that this is not a religious or moral concern or problem what this is is a disorder in the brain that gets stuck and that we can actually fix this so that the client can then actually go and live the most spiritual, wonderfully religious life if that's what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to get past this barrier. And I explain to them why these exposures would help. And we get, the, um, we get permission from their leader to do it.
0: Oh, that's got to really help.
1: Oh, it does. It really, really does. And I've never had a case where the religious leader has said no right? I have heard other clinicians say they've had a no before, but it's very rare. Most
0: You li- haven't gone to some of the towns I did stand up in.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. And that's that. I, I mean, I feel lucky I'm in LA and I have um, had a lot of luck with that. And I know it's not like that in every town, but there are workarounds, right? We, we don't have to go hardcore right away. Um, what we, we can do is instead of them praying to God, excuse me, praying to the devil, we might write a story about them praying to the devil, right? So it's a workaround. There are, we call them scripts or imaginals. And this is where, of course, as you, okay, so you said, if you're afraid of killing someone, I can't actually tell my clients to go out and kill somebody as an exposure. That makes zero sense.
0: Right. You you beat them until they're hanging on for life <laughs> and then you call the ambulance, yeah. right?
1: Exactly. <laughs> no, no. What I do is the exposure isn't, doesn't actually have to be to the thing they absolutely afraid of. It's to the thought of what they're afraid of. So we might write a story about how they accidentally pray to the devil or they accidentally pray wrong, mm-hmm. quote unquote wrong. Um, and how that causes these terrible consequences. And then they would read that, you know, 20 to a hundred times a day and and you know, believe it's amazing. And um, but yeah, our brain starts to understand this problem in a different way, and it starts to see these thoughts as being just thoughts, and then that that alarm goes off less in their brain. So. Um, we can do it in many ways. We can go straight to the source and have them practice doing the thing they're afraid of if that if there's a problem with that or they're not ready for that, we might write a story about it or play some games, which we might do right. here soon,
0: or just take them to the murdering center <laughs> exactly and get a, you You opened the first murdering gym, <laughs> which <laughs> membership's a little low it is but it is. It's a terrific idea. It is. Yes. Right. I'm
1: an entrepreneur at heart. <laughs>
0: um, right before that, you were talking about, oh, I can't remember what it was that scripting I-
1: Scripting or praying or going to the leader and talking with them.
0: I'll, I'll, I'll think of it.
1: I stumped you again.
0: Yes, <laughs> you did. Yeah. Um, Okay. Do you feel like we've, we've covered uh, scrupulosity or is there more to it than, than that?
1: There's always more to it, but yeah. um, that's the main points, right? I think the main thing to remember is even though your religion agrees with your OCD, it's still treatable, right. right? That's the thing to really know. I think people get stuck, they get stuck in their thoughts and then they get stuck because society or the religion might feel like they're holding them in, but you might actually be surprised. The best thing you can do is share your story and talk about it with someone you trust. You'll probably find and hopefully find that there is some really great ways to manage this within your community.
0: I know what it was that I wanted to say. It sounds like you are moving those thoughts from the center of the brain to the front of the brain. Like it's kind of getting rewired, almost stored in an area where there's more executive function right is that kind right. of the case or no
1: right well basically what we're doing is we're we're teaching the brain to not file that thought in the bad cabinet so i this isn't actually like um
0: that's a technical term, bad cabinet. <laughs> it's very a clinical. neuroscience term. It's
1: not. It's not a scientific term. But I want you to think of your brain as having a good cabinet at the back because we store memory and a bad, mem- a bad A good and a bad cabinet, right? If you constantly store a thought in the bad cabinet, next time you have that thought, your brain is going to be like, "That's okay. That came from the bad cabinet," quote unquote bad. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to set out the cortisol and the adrenaline and send out all that or anxiety hormone throughout your body so that you can prepare to run because I remember this as bad. So our work here is to do it so much um, and purposely do the fear or look the fear in the face so that their brain starts to go, okay, so she's doing it on purpose. So that must mean this isn't as bad as it used to be, and I'll start to store it in the good or the neutral.
0: Okay. Okay. Why do... And then maybe there's not an answer for this, but why, you know, the person that has had a traumatic sexual experience, that then that becomes a powerful idea to them sexually in their Mm -hmm. fantasies in adulthood and the cortisol and the adrenaline is present there. What is the brain trying to do there? Mm -hmm.
1: Well, it's basically trying to prepare you to run, if I understand the question correctly. So when our brain, we have a brain that is very, very old and very, very clever. And our brain can retrieve information very, very fast and tell us, you know, send information out to us that this is dangerous. Prepare to run, prepare to freeze. Um, You know, that fight, flight, and freeze, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you've had a trauma, let's say a sexual trauma, your brain is going to very much store that away. In some cases, it stores it away unconsciously, Mm -hmm. right? But then when you re-engage in a similar situation or you have a recall a thought, your brain within a millisecond will prepare for fight and flight and freeze, right? Right. And so that's, if I understand the question correctly. Yeah,
0: but why is that often so intensely pleasurable to people if the event itself was painful?
1: You know, the truth is I, I don't know the exact answer to that, but what I can say is that we have a – well, the way we understand arousal is we have a arousal accelerator and arousal breaks right, within our nervous system. And our, ex, our body can set off the accelerator for arousal without it making any sense at all, right? The arousal, I don't know. I don't think I would be qualified to say exactly why, because I think it's different for every person, but there is a complex system that happens within our brain that can set it into being an accelerator, right? Sexuality and arousal is a fairly misunderstood phenomenon in our body. Um, And so, yeah, again, I have clients who are petrified of, let's say, sodomy, but yet are aroused by it at the same mm-hmm. time. And we, we just have to understand that the recall of sexuality in and of itself is arousing. Right. In and of itself, whether it was pleasurable or not.
0: And is shame then a component in kind of turbocharging that? Because as I began doing the podcast, um And reading people's anonymous surveys, I began to see how many people were the most turned on by something that they were morally opposed to that Mm -hmm. brought them shame. And these were not things that people were acting on in real life. But, you know, the most common one, as you know, is the feminist who, uh, you know, the sexual fantasy or role play that gets her off the most is. Um, a fantasy of being degraded or right. raped or being an object, right. and they, you know, there's so much shame involved, and yet clearly this is somehow the brain's way of dealing with something that has this artifact that turbocharges right. it, and and I'm just I'm kind of fascinated by. Right. Uh, is it the adrenaline and the cortisol? Is that is it the chicken and the egg? What what, what sets right. it off?
1: Yeah, it's, it's fascinating because, you know, and again, I, I don't think, I think in every case it's going to be different from all the research that I've learned. But we could use the same example of if you've been, let's say, sexually assaulted, it would make sense that you wouldn't suppress that and go, and go into a, like, you know, some people forget, right? Your mm-hmm. brain goes into such shutdown mode that it forgets. It would make sense that you would never forget that, but yet we do. And I think our brain has a protective layer. I think it's so complex. I don't think I would even know. The, I don't even know if we we know the answer scientifically mm-hmm. in that we have so many layers of defense. We also have layers of the fact that we are pleasure-seeking humans, um, which is a, I think a component there too, is that at the end of the day, we spend the whole day seeking pleasure. Um, and so sexuality in and of itself is pleasurable, even if there's been evidence of you know, abuse in the past. So I think it's very different for every person. I think that for the thing I would really want to talk to is there. there's a first and second arrow to that too, right? Like you said with the shame is – Okay, so you've been abused, but now you find being, um, you know, disrespected or you know, held tight, a pleasurable thing. Our work isn't to second arrow on that. That's just where we're at. It doesn't mean that it will always be that way either. And through through, you know, radical non judgment, you might even find that that changes, um, and you're not held and stuck in that shame cycle.
0: Yeah. I found that sharing things. That bring me shame, you know, um, uh, fantasies that I would never want to act out in real life. Sharing them with uh, a partner can bring me closer Mm. to that partner because I, I feel, um, uh, more known and more vulnerable. Mm. And when it's met with compassion and understanding, um, it's such an amazing, such an amazing feeling. And, um, but it's terrifying to, in the beginning, uh, you know, of a relationship to begin to share about stuff that we used to think, what the fuck is the matter with my brain? Why am I, why am I thinking this? And why is this arousing to me? Um, I had, a thought uh, occur to me, uh, a fantasy, I suppose, um, when I was uh, with my girlfriend, and it was um, of me being the age, around the age that I was when I was sexually traumatized. Um, and this Fantasy was that I – and I used to – right around that time, I was going to a doctor's office, and a a nurse was giving me shots in my butt. I think it was like 11 years old, and I have to take my pants down. And I started picturing that nurse um, being sexually inappropriate with me, and it was incredibly arousing Mm. imagining that. And I didn't judge myself too much. For it, but it—it's um—it's just—it's exhausting. (laughs) It's exhausting having. It's like if you can imagine the worst color in the world that nobody carries clothing in—that's your favorite color. Right? You know what I mean. And it's—it's like yeah, other people will accept that that's your color or a color that you really like. Right but it's hard not to feel like an asshole sometimes when that's the, the color, but we don't get to pick what is, is pleasurable. Right. But this is a
1: conversation I love to have because who says it's wrong? Who says like, where do we learn that? And I love to break down with clients in, when we're looking through the frame of non-judgment, which is who says, you know, let's go to like a really easy one. Like, being thin is better. Who says just because they say it, does it actually mean it's true? Do we have to do, uh, you know, let's break it down. Let's actually challenge that. So if you were saying this was a thought that I had and I found it arousing, who says that's wrong?
0: Well, because in reality it's wrong for a nurse to do that to a boy Mm. would be Unquestionably.
1: Right. But wrong. not your thought about it. But not my
0: thought about it. Right.
1: right. And I mean, to go to that, I think that as you know, it's very normal and common for abuse victims to have similar fantasies because we as human beings need to feel like we have control. So if we don't have control or we didn't have control, we can sometimes create scenarios um, in our mind or fantasies in our mind. Even though they're not ideal and they're actually they go against what we would want, we can create them to at least feel like we have control over those scenarios and and experiences. Um, And that's a very, very common, you know, experience for those who have had trauma.
0: It almost seems like kind of the sexual version of the person that blames themselves after a loved one dies. Mm. That we need to somehow say if i'd only done this then the possibility in the world doesn't exist that random shit can happen and people can disappear and we never get to see them ever again
1: exactly yeah and again we're just trying to find sense of it right trying to make sense because our
0: brain loves to put things in the cabinets
1: whether you have ocd or not you love that right we love to solve a problem i mean Mm -hmm. that's just true um but again we have to look like we were just talking about it looking at Who says you're not allowed to have that thought? Who says you're not allowed to find that thought arousing, right? If we took away the societal views on it, it's no different to enjoying birthday cake.
0: I know it's not wrong. It's just, um, I don't know if pain in the ass is the right word. It's just tiring. it's It's tiring sometimes not being able to climax without thinking of something that you wish didn't turn you on
1: Mm. yeah there's injustice there
0: yeah that's that i think that's what what it was and i'm trying to say and i know that i am far from alone in Mm. experiencing that based on the surveys that i read and the friends that i talk to um but I think a lot of people are out there shaming themselves and feel alone. And I, I think I'm, about, I'm probably about 90%, 95% done with shaming myself about that. Otherwise, I wouldn't have said it out loud right. um, because I do want people to stop giving energy to something that is ultimately self-hating.
1: Right, right. You know, it, it brings a conversation that is so interesting to watch my clients wrestle with. And when I say wrestle, I mean like, like you're wrestling with a slippery sausage kind of Mm -hmm. thing, like really, really wrestle with the idea of, okay, let's say you really did like this thought, right? But because you're here in therapy and you're, it sounds to me like it doesn't line up with your values. Let's just say that you radically accept that that's what you have in your body. And then you go and live your values anyway, you know? doing the things that you love to do, do the things that you feel are right morally, that you, you know, that's how you want to live your life, set your life up, you know, based on your values. And let's just accept that maybe that is what you like, right? Whether they do or they don't, right? And it's really great to see them wrestle with that and then come to a place of saying, you know what, I'm exhausted, I'm tired of trying to figure out why and what it means and I'm, I'm actually don't – it doesn't line up with my values to beat myself up anymore. Right. And so I'm just going to live while that thought comes along for the ride. Gotcha. Right. And that's such a great place to come to because it's no longer about solving it. It's no longer about what's right and wrong. Mm-hmm. It's just like, okay, whether it's right or wrong, I'm going to live my life anyway. Yes. And yeah. so let's do that. Yes, yeah, so
0: just assume it's true. Go out and you're live live your life, and see if that ruins your life. Right, probably isn't going to.
1: Right, right. Yeah, yeah, and just make some space for uncertainty in your life.
0: Ugh. <laughs> I want to know everything so I can control it.
1: <laughs> no, that's what it's about, right? Yeah, it you is. know, and I'm saying that as if I'm good at it, and I'm yes. not. So please, don't anyone think that this is easy, right? Like the the thing I say on social. Actually, it's on my shirt, right is the thing I say on social media is it's a beautiful day to do hard things. That is exposure therapy in a sentence, right? Which Mm is, yeah, it sucks, but today's the best day to do this work. So let's, let's move forward towards what you value. Right. Yeah. Whether your religion tells you you're wrong or not. um, Let's actually just work at moving forward instead of staying stagnant, trying to solve it.
0: Right. And, Think about the principles that you want to live by, not that you think by, mm. not the thoughts that pop in your head, right. but the actions that you right. that you take.
1: Right. And a good way to do that, because some people say, well, my values are to never, you know, to get into heaven. And so, but that doesn't mean you get to do all compulsions all day. Yes. It's what would you do if fear didn't take the lead or the mm-hmm. steering wheel? That's where your values are. Because sometimes fear dresses up. As values.
0: Oh my God. that—that <laughs> That is such an understatement. <laughs> it's, and, and I often think of the codependent person who helps from a place of fear rather than of real um, kind of uh, abundance, generosity, joy. Right. Um, Trust. And, yeah. And it's the two are, in fact, i, I talked about it on the uh, an episode a little while ago and it's the when we do it from a place of fear it's actually a form of manipulation because yeah. we are Trying to manipulate what you think of us. And while we're doing it, we're not being our authentic selves. Right. We're full of resentment and dread and we're tired and we need a nap.
1: Right. You and know. your brain's sitting back going, bullshit. Yeah. Like your brain knows. Yeah. And then it's going to second arrow on that, right? It's just, yes. it's going to be a, you know, second arrow on you for what's going on. So, no, I think, I think it's really important to catch that. You know, I always sort of say like fear loves to, it's, it's Halloween costume is, is values. It's this favorite costume oh i'm gonna I'm gonna pretend I'm values, you know what yeah. I mean? No, that's fear values aren't isn't fear
0: and well, thank god that that hasn't worked its way into politics. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's exposure therapy for that too yeah. <laughs> uh
0: so let's talk about sexual orientation uh obsession
1: right. Um, so sexual orientation OCD used to be called homosexual OCD or what we call HOCD. Um, but because I think um, from a societal standpoint, we are now much more open-minded about sexuality in general, um, now it's sort of more common. It used to be that we would only see clients with homosexual OCD, the fear that they will become go from straight To homosexual, but now we call it sexual orientation because people are now afraid of becoming transgender. Or homosexuals are more likely to come and see us because they're more accepted um, in society um, to share that they have heterosexual obsessions, that they're afraid that they will move from being homosexual to heterosexual so basically it basically can be
0: ostracized within their community mm-hmm. i hear about that um a couple of friends i have who are lesbians said that there's a tremendous amount of um prejudice in the at least in the circles that they uh, are in towards women who uh kind of go back and forth in their Mm -hmm. sexuality Mm -hmm. that, that aren't committed to just being uh, a lesbian. And that shocked me when I, when I heard that.
1: Oh, absolutely. bisexual bisexuality is, um, does get a a lot of heat, I think for that. And so when we talk about sexual orientation, it's the same presentation in that there's an intrusive, repetitive, painful thought um, that creates a lot of uncertainty in our body and our experience. And so they do a bunch of compulsions to try and find a solution or to find certainty that I am absolutely in this club and not in that club and that I won't snap one day and, you know, go do the dirty.
0: And is public homophobia one of those things that, that people do when they're in there? Because so often, like when I hear a politician just grandstanding about the evils of, homosexuality, I just think, oh, that guy really wants to suck a dick. <laughs> he is just thinking about cock from the moment he wakes up, and this is all about right. him.
1: Right. Or well, maybe he's not even thinking about it, but that's what he does all day. Yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we know this. We've seen that's, this in the news. So, yeah, I mean, not usually in the presentation that I see. It doesn't come in most cases. I don't know. if They I mean, probably
0: don't seek help.
1: Well, and that's the point is I'm in California where I think it's, I think we're having that conversation and they resent that homophobia so much, or it's not, you don't get that far being a homophobic mm-hmm. in California and what I've experienced. Um, it's more often clients will say, and this is what, you know, I think really sums it up is they'll say, if I'm gay, I'm gay. If let's say they have homosexual obsessions, they'll be like, if I'm gay, I'm gay. I gay, I'm cool with it. I'm, I, if, if I'm going to turn gay, I just wish I was gay. So I don't have to tolerate this uncertainty anymore. Right. Right. I've had clients say, I'd prefer to know I had cancer if they have health anxiety than to be toying over and over all day, obsessing on trying to solve whether I will get cancer.
0: Right. It's like right? the, 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 uh, battle in your brain of, am I a good person or a bad person? <laughs> Sometimes that's why it's so comforting when somebody criticizes you because you're like, Oh, the argument's <laughs> over. Yeah. I am terrible.
1: <laughs> exactly. Now I can relax. Yeah. Right. And that's a short-term relief until you have to try and figure out how to get yourself out of the bad category. And so they do, they, whether people with sexual orientation, It's not so much in my experience um, of treating this quite a lot in that they don't want to be, they could come to terms with it. It's just that it doesn't usually line up with their values, Um, but it's more that they don't want to be sitting with this degree of uncertainty and confusion, right? You know, we talked last time, you could be a heterosexual male with homosexual obsessions, and get aroused because you're checking to see whether you're aroused when you're at Home Depot, right?
0: What, aisle, would, what aisle are you in?
1: <laughs> I think last time we talked about the lamp aisle, I think is what we were saying. But no, you could be in any aisle, particularly the – the um, probably plumbing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where the most wife beaters tank tops are. Yeah. I think it's probably the the best exposure lane.
0: Uh, so, so what else about, uh, sexual orientation? I would imagine that I like how I asked you a question and then I just started talking. Um, do you ever just talk about why do we need to put it in a, in a box? Why do, why mm-hmm. is fluid not, why does it have to have a name, whatever it is that turns us on and why does it have to be fixed? Can we make, can't we just make peace with the fact that it's, it's like trying to name the weather?
1: Right. Well, I think you ne- hit the nail on the head before by looking at those themes. So if it, if there ha- if there's an underlying theme of perfectionism and they've already done their best to have the perfect life, the idea of, you know, snapping and becoming a sexuality change that might really, you know, push their perfect life right
0: it's like a leaky roof they can't fix right right
1: or um it could simply be that i just hate feeling uncertain right i you know some some clients i've seen have been very high powered very very incredibly smart most people with ocd are incredibly smart um you know and as a problem solver and Mm. they just hate the fact that this is one they can't solve you know, that any other problem, we could we could find a solution, but this one, there is no indicator. There's no study. There's we we can't you know we can't you can't put it to a, a name. You can't um, measure it. Right. Right. And so that kind of pisses them off. Right. And, and so,
0: what do you do to help them find peace with the not knowing or not being able to categorize?
1: Well. Um, I often will check in with them, like even before you kind of winced at the idea of uncertainty. So I would ask you, so I would say, okay, so pretend I've never felt uncertainty before. I'm one of the lucky ones, right? Mm -hmm. Tell me about this uncertainty. Where do you feel it? Explain it to me. I've never had it before. I want to understand it. Tell me where it shows up in your body.
0: I'd be too busy saying, fuck you. (laughs) Right. That makes sense though, to, yeah. to, to do that. Right.
1: Where does it show up? Oh, it's in your chest. You feel like a heavy gray feeling over your head. Okay. Can we just one at a time, make a little space for those sensations? Because here's the thing. Just because you feel uncertain doesn't actually mean it's more uncertain than any other area of your life. Right. right? I'm not certain this roof won't fall on my head. But I don't need to know, right? Just because I experience uncertainty about something doesn't mean it's more uncertain than all the other things that are going on in my life. It's just your brain picked that one. Right. Right. So it's just making, getting them to sort of be able to observe their uncertainty instead of buy into their uncertainty as if it's so important and it must be solved. Because the truth is, if a client says to me, I've sold everything in my life, I'll be like, no, you haven't. <laughs> don't tell me you have. And they'll be like, yeah, every time there's a problem, I solve it. But I'm like, no, you haven't because you don't even know what problems are actually happening in your life half the time. So it's just challenging those ideas and getting them to be able to see uncertainty as just another thing that happens in our life that's uncomfortable, Yeah, but we can tolerate.
0: I would imagine that most of the common ones that, that come up have to do with fear of loss being unhealthy or being judged by society or loved mm. ones. Right. Yeah.
1: Or 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 now all those are completely correct, but or just not living a life that they wanted. You know, mm. I don't want to be, let's say you're a homosexual and they're like, but I genuinely don't want to be heterosexual. Right? But their thoughts are saying, But what if you do? What if you are? And they're like, but right here and now I actually don't want that for my life. Right. So again, that's where we talk about values and we'd say, okay, so we, you don't want it. Go and live your life tolerating uncertainty and just live your life. And even if you happen to change into a heterosexual man, live your life as a homosexual man. You know, you can make space for both. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Because if it's what you value, you'll find a way to make it happen. Um, so that's never happened, you know, Mm. (laughs) in my experience, but that's, that's what we're playing with. We're playing with ideas on how can you tolerate this fear and that's what it's all about.
0: Anything else on that one before we play your uh, newspaper headline game?
1: Um, I think the only thing I really feel like we, we need to go over is there is a second arrow to OCD too. So you can have OCD, but then the second arrow is what if this is an OCD and it actually is what is my destiny, which is tricky because that thought in and of itself can be the thing that stops people from actually getting help. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause if I knew I had a broken ankle, I would go to the broken, the ankle doctor and get it fixed. But if I have OCD, but I'm questioning whether it's OCD, it's likely I'm going to treat it with modalities that aren't helpful. So I think it's really important that we understand that a part of the symptomology of OCD is to be afraid that you don't have it.
0: Mm. Uh, I have a fear that, um, I don't understand love, but I'm fooling myself into thinking I do. And my modality is Halloween candy.
1: (laughs) Would you, would
0: you you recommend that? Because I'm about five days in.
1: (laughs) Well, this is, this is, this could be, I'm not telling you, you have OCD, but this is actually presented in my office when it becomes very repetitive because it's another one of those points of uncertainty. How do we know we love? It's not measurable. If you go and ask um, someone who's been married for 60 years, how do you know you're in love? They won't give you anything of substance except you just know, right? Mm. And so for you, you said you're afraid that you don't understand it. There's no way to measure that, right? And so the truth is I don't understand it. But whether I think I do or not is simply a thought, Mm. right? Um, So in terms of eating the candy, uh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What about finding someone I hate so I know I don't have it? I know that I don't have uncertainty about love. Finding somebody I despise and well, committing that the rest of work my life to for them.
1: about two and a quarter minutes. But I'll get to eat a lot of candy. Yeah. Uh well see, I'm I'm also sp- do specialize in eating disorders. So I'm an intuitive eater. I say, go for it. There's nothing, yeah. something wrong, you know, live your life, have fun with it, fill your body up with pleasure if you want. Um, but, um, if you're eating candy or doing any behavior to not feel your feelings, that's where we want to make some space.
0: Okay, right? I didn't know that there was another way possible. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can eat candy just for pleasure, not to escape uncomfortable feelings. Oh yeah. What does that like? It's, it's I'm kidding. I, 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 <laughs> I know you know I'm kidding, but it, it I was really bounce that off of you real fast. It really only began to present itself, um, interestingly enough, after um, my marriage broke up, mm. and then that kind of became the late night go to right before I would go to bed mm. is I would just compulsively eat right. Uh, sugar,
1: right. Well, that's an interesting point for those who one one a really big question that people ask me on social media because I'm often on social media talking about OCD and you know educating people.
0: And by the way, where can people follow you on uh, Instagram again?
1: Um, on Instagram, so you can follow me on CBT School. Yes. Cognitive behavioral You have such therapy. a great feed out oh, there. thank you. Um, or CBT School on Facebook as well. But one of the most common questions that's fascinating to me isn't questions about the early stages of treatment. It's often about people who've gone through recovery and they don't know what to do with themselves once they're recovered. Right? They, they, they You the, would think they thought that they would get their OCD under control and then they just go and live this like brilliant life and like kill it and like just love it and have such a good time. But there's an emptiness, Yeah, right? There's an emptiness to not having trauma and turmoil and uh, all that stuff, right? It's an,
0: it's an eerie silence. Oh, it's a it's, deafening and silence. And a lonely
1: yeah. one, right? Because you've been, even though you hated your OCD or you didn't like your marriage, There was a familiar – it was familiar. I couldn't get Mm -hmm. my tongue around that one today. But it's familiar, and even if it's not good, it felt safe. And then when you don't have it, there's a lack of safety there. And some clients have – some people on social media have even said, like, I'm kind of considering going back not that they, they're saying, I know I won't, but right. you're probably, we do that in our mind. If we've had depression or an eating disorder or a bad relationship or a bad job, once we're free of it, sometimes we, we tend to sort of self-sabotage a little bit, um, because we don't know how to fill that space yeah. and joy feels scary.
0: Yeah. Because it's a greater height to fall from. Mm. It's like, I'd rather live on the curb right. than get right. a foot off the ground.
1: That's it. Yeah. That's why I say being perfect, if that's your goal, is the most vulnerable position you'll ever be in.
0: Yeah. You think of the rock star that's got you know three number one records in a row. Yeah. I I would never want to be that person no. making that fourth album. Right.
1: Horrible. Yeah. yeah. It's the most vulnerable you know, place to be. So
0: I'll take their money. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You stop,
1: if you stopped making anything, but that's what a lot of people do, right? They stop writing, they stop playing, you know, or they put their life on hold because it's, you know, being sometimes being happy is scary. You know, it's, it's a vulnerable place to live. It is. Mm. It is.
0: You are open Mm. to being lame. Right.
1: Being positive,
0: yeah. Cynicism is the easiest thing in the world. Right. You risk nothing, right. and it's just a slow death yeah. of lack of human connection, right. and you don't get to the, the the feeling of being vulnerable. It is so worth it to experience those moments when you, for lack of a better word, are. You know, when you let yourself go and someone catches you. Right. And it's it's amazing. Yeah. It's an amazing feeling.
1: It's the definition of life, right? Yeah, it really is. Right. Yeah. But tell that to someone who's anxious. They're going to be like, you're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hear it every day. Well,
0: I had to work through it. It took me decades yeah. of work to get to that, Ugh. to get to that place.
1: I mean, it's funny because... Even though I'm a therapist, if once, even as if I check in with myself, like I start to feel that nauseous feeling come up into me of like vulnerability. Oh God, I preach it all day long. But if we talk about like us falling, mm-hmm. that it's cra- It's amazing how our body can be like, oh no, I'm going to send out some nausea to you. So, you know, to shut that down. Right. Really? Yeah. It's, it's, it's cool. I love sharing that with people because with my clients, especially because I think they think they're the only ones, mm-hmm. right? That, and it's like, no, that's the that's how cool our body is. They It will self-protect to the end of the day.
0: It's kind of like Lenny from Of Mice and Men. It's very well-meaning, mm-hmm. but uh, sometimes it's not very subtle.
1: Uh-uh. And, no. Uh,
0: yeah. Um, did you have any fears coming into doing this interview or while we were doing the interview? Any self-judgment or... Hmm. Um, I feel like I have kind of disclosed a lot of, uh, my mm. stuff and, uh, if you're comfortable, I just think it would be interesting to have you kind of pull your brain okay. back and show us what's going on. Right.
1: Well, I did share with you my wheelie bean obsession. Yes, <laughs> yes
0: that's true. I forgot about that.
1: <laughs> no, I think as a clinician, my always fear is that I'm going to say something offensive, um, you know, I grew up in a very small town in Australia um, where, I'm not going to lie, it, it, racism is, shows up there a lot, right? And it wasn't until I went to college and then came to L.A. where I actually feel like I was so, had such a massive um, learning curve about political correctness. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always afraid that the country Kimberly will step out and say... The most disgusting thing. Not that yes. I was ever racist or right. I was ever politically incorrect, but I've always got my fear that that little girl, that uneducated girl, will come out and just like, like Roseanne. I'll be like Roseanne. Right. <laughs> right. Like career over. Right. <laughs> so that fear is always there. Um, I think as a, do, do, are we doing the whole honesty thing? Yeah. I think as a woman, um, there's always a fear of being alone with a man, right? Like there's always that fear as a woman where you're,
0: you mean other than your husband?
1: No, with you, right? Like we're Hmm. going to meet somebody who you know well, but not too well. Like Hmm. I think, um, you know, I, I, It's I've, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts recently and sort of hearing about women and I know the me too movement. I myself have been so grateful to not have had any trauma in this area, but I think that there's always that fear you're walking across the street, who's going to get you, you're in a new neighborhood, who's going to get you. Um, so that fear is always there, I think. Um, so there's that. And, you know, I might completely screw up this at some point. That's a fear always. Right.
0: You were such a great guest last time and such a great (laughs) guest this time. Yeah, no, you're uh, delightful on the the mic. Thank you. You you bring subjects in here that um, are so either misunderstood or um, the breadth of them Mm. is not really understood. And you uh, have such an accessible way of laying it out there in a fun way. Mm. And, um, so I, I love having, oh, love thank having you. Yeah. I do yeah. too. It's yeah. so fun.
1: Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I will say only one more thing, which is I'm constantly trying to manage telling stories about OCD and not making it too fun. You know, like I just love to laugh and mm-hmm. I'm gen. I, I live up here, you know, like I, most things crack me up. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we played that game last time. I okay. talk about crazy shit all day. Um, and I just love it. My clients are like, what is wrong with you? Like, yeah. you know, so I love that stuff, but I have to be weary and careful that I also make a lot of space for empathy um. So that's sort of another thing that I'm always checking in with myself on. I'm like, you know, what's your laugh to serious ratio?
0: But isn't that <laughs> isn't that the sound? That aren't those the thoughts of a good clinician? Right. That's that you know awareness right. being the the first one. Right. And it's like if you were fucking up every single day <laughs> with that, I'd be like, well, <laughs> hmm.
1: right. Yeah. You know. It is a ratio that I you know. Thankfully it comes pretty natural, but every now and then I'm like, wow, I just said something really hateful. I better jump in there and throw some like gentle, like, I'm so sorry you're going through this, (laughs) that I'm making you do this awful thing. (laughs) uh,
0: I have a, uh, I don't know if I will have aired it by the time this airs, but um, I had a, a guest on who. Uh, for a book she wrote, she went out and intentionally did things that scared her, or mm-hmm. she where she would look foolish, and uh, I just love the idea of that. For mm-hmm. you know, for myself, for anybody that has a perfectionist streak in them, and I was having trouble with my um, woodworking machines uh, the other day, and so I had to get on technical support, and so we were doing it, you know, via FaceTime, and. Later in the day, um, I texted uh, my girlfriend, uh, I miss your sweet face. And I thought, what if I had accidentally texted that to the the woodworking (laughs) technician guy? And I thought, you know what? I should text that just to live through that
1: and realize- fucking cares exactly you know? oh, I can't tell you how many times I've said I love you to the person on at AT&T because I'm just <laughs> so used to saying I love you bye and I'm like shit <laughs> <laughs> but that's what we call rejection therapy um, there's actually a whole term treatment line where if someone has social anxiety you purpose because they're afraid of either being judged Mm -hmm. but sometimes they're afraid of being rejected so we have them purposely go out and be rejected so if let's say someone's eating a donut at you know the corner bakery you would walk up to them and say can i have a bite of your donut not because you actually want to have the donut because but because you have to tolerate being rejected the anxiety Mm -hmm. and so you should
0: yes I right.
1: Again, this is just the coolest job ever, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um Are we ready to play the game? We are. Okay. And it's called Newspaper Headline? Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay, describe it.
1: So um last time we were here we played one up, right? So mm-hmm. we were really talking about like whatever thoughts you have, the best way you can do it is to make it worse. Mm-hmm. Right? Get gritty, you know, make it Embrace it. Make it The worst of the worst, right? Like go there, right? This is a more, um, we're talking about humor. This is a more playful way of doing exposure therapy and playing around with thoughts, which is whatever your fear is, make it into a headline as if you're going to read about it on the newspaper tomorrow, right? Um, So you could make it like the Wall Street Journal kind of headline, or you could make it like the Onion Right. Right. You could go either way. I encourage you to do both. Right. Yeah. So, whatever your fear is, as you're having that fear, observe the fear and then make it into this headline. So, that's what we're going to do.
0: Uh, okay. Uh, uh, Wall Street Journal. Um, uh, Kimberly Quinlan's fears that uh, uh, Paul is unsafe uh, come true. Uh, world not surprised. Uh, shipped ship him to a desert island,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then the subline would be all whilst the recording button was still going. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> okay, so um, it, we should play one up on that one too. <laughs> yeah, we should. <laughs> um, so let's say let's say it's a sexual orientation case, and uh, let's say the person is. Uh, heterosexual and afraid he's going to become homosexual let's say it, the headline is um, man snaps and turns gay while having sex with victoria secret model <laughs> and then let's say the subline is model um quoted best lay of my life <laughs>
0: That one doesn't seem bad to me. <laughs> it does if
1: you've got H-O-C-D. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, I suppose it I
0: suppose it because does. Because
1: in their mind, they're tr- often they will compulsively have sex to prove that they're gotcha. of a certain sexuality. And so if you had sex with a Victoria's Secret model and you still turn gay, well, that's a disaster.
0: I gotcha. <laughs> um, and, and so are we supposed to do these about ourselves or just just anything that anybody would be afraid of
1: yeah go for it like okay. i said the if this was my office i'd like say these walls have heard it all so go go big
0: okay um a mid-level executives powerpoint presentation ends when diarrhea runs down his leg um chairman vomits and three people die running to escape the room. Uh, and then the sub headline would be um, a mid-level executive fired, house foreclosed, wife leaves him, uh, dog has cancer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> dog has cancer. That just finishes it off, right? There yes. is no lef- There's nothing left. Yeah. Right. I love it. I love it. Okay. So for the sake of that, we did scrupulosity. Um, let me think. Um, so like, um, sport, what do we say? Like spoiler alert, like if this is a touchy subject, don't let your children listen. Maybe. Oh, okay. Do we yeah, do that? Yeah. 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 Do sure. we need to? Okay. Um, so man, mm, let me think. I'll do No, let's actually do a harm one cuz it's easy, right? So. Okay. Um vegetarian man, age 23 goes in a killing spree at the local pet adoption center. Um ironic, right? Yeah. Um the byline or the the subline would be um In jail quotes finger licking good.
0: (laughs) Um, uh, This would be a short headline Jesus sickened by your presence. Right? And then the sub headline would be Apostles Agree. Exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly. It's a great one for scrupulosity. Um, woman prays. No, windows reportedly breaking in all areas of the church after woman accidentally prays to God, prays to the devil, wishing she could have sex with him. Subline w- would be um, De-
0: Devil not that good.
1: Yeah. She's had better. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um. Facebook a fire with... Toilet camera footage of (laughs) disgusting (laughs) 55-year-old man who also enjoys picking nose. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That is a fear of mine. I totally get that one.
0: (laughs) Can you imagine? Can you imagine? uh, uh, That... There's so many moments like in our life where we think, oh, my God, if somebody else saw this, I would just be so fucking mortified.
1: Oh, you know, I feel like the world loves to just follow me around with mortifying stories. I have so many. It's just like it's so funny of yours
0: or or other people that have shared with you
1: of mine and and other people. Well,
0: hit, uh, hit us with some of yours with mine. Yeah. Oh, no, I'll start. I'll start off with one. I once complained about my knee creaking to a guy who was dying of AIDS.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I was pulled over by a policeman while breast pump milk, pumping milk while driving.
0: And that's illegal.
1: No, it's legal, but you're not allowed to drive through a red light while pumping. (laughs) (laughs) There is a stipulation. You're not allowed to drive through a red light while pumping.
0: Oh my God. That's
1: Yeah. And it was so funny because, and I was like, of course this is happening to me. This only happens to me. Like the funny thing is he came out and he walked up to the side and I turned everything off at least at that point, but I was still like all connected and he was like, Um, excuse me, ma'am, do you know that you drove through a red light? And I was like, yes. And then he looked down and he goes, um, looks like you have a lot going on, (laughs) ma'am. And he let me off. (laughs) Like he was so so uncomfortable. He didn't know what to do. He was just, I think, I think he was, I mean, there's, this is like, there's tubes coming out everywhere and it's just the weirdest thing. And I could see he was just like, this is beyond my capacity right now there's no
0: there's no paperwork for this <laughs>
1: i don't know what the code is for that one yes.
0: <laughs> so anybody out there that likes to drive fast just drive to work with the breast pump yep. hanging out of your shirt
1: exactly um, you're, you're off you, you, you're away and again i could have judged myself for that which i probably did a little bit and that's mortifying but you know i, I probably gave him some good obsessive thoughts to be concerned about so. <laughs> yes yes
0: uh give us another one
1: a mortifying story yeah oh none are coming to mortifying i i can't come up with any right now just because i think i'm mortified that i just told you the story that i'm yeah. about my breast
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty that's a pretty good one everything that might kind be of, hard, um, that yeah, yeah, might be kind of numb talk.
1: at this point no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> mortifying Hmm. No, I'm so I think, blank.
0: I yeah. I think I've blanked out m- most. of Oh, now this is a good one. Um, I think I've shared this on the podcast before, though. But um, oh, it's so it's embarrassing telling it now, just because <laughs> of what a douchey college guy I was. But I was in a uh, fraternity, and you know there was this just stupid thing called, Oh, it's just makes me (laughs) sick to even say it. But, um, where like, if you were really good friends with a sorority, you would go like during the day, you would go do like a panty raid and you know, you'd, you'd run up there and be like, Oh my God. Oh my God. And you, you know, pull a pair of panties out of like their drawer and you would six of you would abscond with, you know, pairs of panties from the sorority. And then you'd all laugh about it later that night at a, you 'd have them over and you'd all party and and so we did that, and uh, I was really drunk, and they I thought it would be funny if I put on a pair of their panties and just kind of stepped out into the hall quickly and like waved hello to everybody and went back in, so I did, and everybody laughed Then my two friends came in before I could took them off, take them off and push me down and dragged me by my feet down the hall towards this group of <laughs> girls while all i had on was these obvious, obviously this pair of underwear that was way too tight and kind of see through <laughs> and
1: and nothing underneath and nothing underneath oh my god
0: and camel and,
1: toe <laughs>
0: <laughs> camel foot <laughs> Not that i'm uh you know packing uh, a whole lot, but you don't need a whole lot to to um it was uh, it was awful oh it was God. fucking awful that and it, and awful. they still laugh about it uh you know uh today, <laughs> but that that might have been one of the most uh mortifying like non i don 't think it w- went to the level of traumatizing because right. even I could laugh about it right but um it it was probably the most mortifying, non traumatizing thing right. that I think I've ever experienced.
1: Oh, my chest is tight for you on that one. Yeah, oh, it's tight for me. Just body remembering, parts.
0: yeah, yeah, what? and not and, and like hating, you know, that area of my body anyway. Right. Oh, yeah. It was not good. Right. Let's let's not end on that. Let's. <laughs> let's
1: you just, that's, we've just basically both said our own um, sub um, headlines, right? Yeah. Man gets dragged yeah. in transparent. Leasing. Yeah. College
0: students treated to unpleasant chicken wing, <laughs> <laughs> know, wishbone, whatever you right. call the, uh, uh th- then let's end on that one. Cause I don't know if we can, we can top that one in terms yeah. of, uh, is I don't want to leave that, that image with anybody though.
1: I don't know, let's just, that's good exposure, right?
0: Oh, fuck you. That's so, <laughs> it's, oh, I'm sweating right now thinking about that. I for
1: you, I really do. It's so hard. Human beings can be such assholes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's true. And that's why I say, I actually say that to my clients because we're beating up on ourselves for having a thought, but yet everyone's doing stuff that isn't cool, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, that is in my mind. I'm going to keep it there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for coming. Uh, we'll no. never
1: be seeing you again. <laughs> we'll never
0: be seeing you again. No, it was uh, it was lovely uh, chatting with you, and uh, as always, I I learned a lot, and um, we'll put links up to all of your stuff, and um, thanks so much.
1: My pleasure. Thank you. How
0: awesome is she? I uh, just love having her as a as a guest and, you know, therapists like her that are so accessible and down to earth and knowledgeable are so hugely, hugely important. Um, yeah, so many, many thanks to her. Um, before I take it out with some surveys, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Calm. Uh, You know, we talk about self-care and reducing stress and stuff like that a lot on the podcast, and Calm is a great app for that, Um, whether it's sleeping or meditating or just relaxing. If you go to calm.com slash mental, you get a 25% off uh, the Calm Premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of programs like guided meditation on issues like anxiety, stress, and focus, including a brand new meditation each day called the Daily Calm. Their sleep stories are really cool. They're bedtime stories for adults designed to help you relax, and I can tell you they do work, uh, especially <clears throat> Excuse me, the one narrated by Stephen Fry. But they have all kinds of narrators. They have Bob Ross now, you know, the guy with, with the uh, big fro that does the painting, the, the super chill guy, let's put a couple of trees in here. Uh, there's also soothing music, breathing exercises, gentle stretches to relax your body, and more. So for a, l- a limited time, you can get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com mental. That's cal dot mental. Get unlimited access to all of Calm's content today at calm.com mental want to also give a shout out to uh, another one of our sponsors, Madison Reed hair coloring kits. Uh, you're probably tired of spending your one day off or one of your days off of the week uh, at the salon, spending half your paycheck or going to the drugstore and getting the generic one size fits all hair coloring kit. Madison Reed makes it easy to match your color, giving you the tools you need so you can color with confidence. Uh, the, the, Folks I know that have done Madison Reed give great feedback. They say that it's convenient. You do it at home. Uh, It's well laid out. The directions are simple. The quality of the color is great. There's no terrible smell to it. Uh, So get ammonia-free, multi-tonal hair color delivered to your door for less than 25 bucks by visiting Madison.com and you guys get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit with code mental. That's code mental at madison-reed.com. So this is a shame and secret survey. This was filled out by a guy who calls himself Ash Ketchum. I believe he's has filled out uh, surveys before for us. Um, he is gay was, uh, as in his 20s, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment and was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Um, he writes, I was abused by a student in kindergarten and second grade, uh, was into it and never thought it was abuse until I kept writing it in this box over the last few years. Older brothers and cousins made me and my other younger cousin kiss when we were kids as they all looked on. Covertly incested by my mother in ways that I am not comfortable sharing here. Uh, he's also been physically and emotionally abused. Uh, he writes first generation Caribbean American uh, mother, aunt, and grandmother would beat us with belts, shoes, power cords, hands, ring our ears if we acted up in public, slap the back of our legs, um, etc. And he also has a. Uh, really homophobic brother any positive experiences with people who abused you the first two abusers were friends in school we had fun including the abuse it was literally a game we would play in secret and I got off metaphorically on playing that game in public the first student and I would play in the class while everyone slept at nap time the second and I would play in the bathroom at school I guess this complication is what leads me to think it wasn't abuse Uh, I don't hate my mother, probably. She's a good cook, and when my brothers and I were young, she liked to mother us with food and buying our clothes, but now she's just passive-aggressive and too dependent on that identity. Uh, Darkest thoughts. Don't really have dark thoughts. I just ruminate all the time. Thinking about any failure or challenge from conversations I wish I never said that one cringy thing to arguments where I just thought of the perfect retort 13 years later to answers on a test to choosing a fucking stupid major in school to choosing a school I never should have been at because I let my mother's shitty lack of faith in me tell me black people couldn't make video games. Almost every second of the day I'm rehashing something or else fantasizing. Darkest Secrets, The Covert Incest, The Nightly Physical Abuse as a Preteen, and Being a Bully in Elementary School. Uh, Sexual Fantasy is Most Powerful to You. More and more frequently lately when I jerk off, when I'm close to orgasming, I'll switch from the porn I'm watching to pictures of my ex-fuck bud and come while looking at them and fantasizing about them. He's married, and the last I invited... uh, him over he wouldn't fuck me and I totally flipped out it was so obvious I invited him over to fuck we never hung out or talked outside of talking to set up a fuck date he came over talked to me about how he hates his wife and how he thought about being a gay for pay prostitute watched me jerk off not to completion I was just trying to end the talking and get to the fucking uh, then told me, I'm married now, I can't. Then he starts trying to tell me how easily a guy like me could get a girlfriend if I tried. And all the while, I'm having a panic attack because he's refused me. After the aforementioned jerking off and clear booty call situation. When I jerk off to his pictures, I fantasize that that last encounter went the way I wanted. Uh, how do you feel after writing that? I feel like... dot 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 nothing after sharing that. The worst of this was the panic attack during the event, and I've processed all those feelings. Now I just want to be wanted and objectified by him like I used to be. I just can't get what I want. You know, it is, is I'm reading this, um, I'm, I'm thinking that there is possibly a feeling in you that your worth as a person is in your sexuality and your attractiveness and possibly that that's also the go-to for you when you're anxious or you're in pain is to want to soothe yourself with that. And, you know, sex is an awesome, healthy thing when it's used in the right way, when it's used, uh, you know, not as a way to escape from our lives or to deal with feelings that have better tools, uh, to, to deal with the feelings. And so often we shame ourselves because then we say, well, and I'm a pervert, you know, to me, it's all about healthy and unhealthy ways of expressing feelings rather than assigning, you know, a negative connotation to it. Um, it's so easy to shame ourselves. And, um, yeah. What if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to I would tell a friend that she's letting her older sister walk all over her and giving her way too much power over her personality and life. You know, it's interesting that you say that, and then that sounds like that could be said about your relationship with your mom. And very often, not setting boundaries with someone close in our life can really fuel the the acting out or whatever the compulsive behavior is. Um, I would ask my one brother why he thinks I would talk to him like a normal person when he still acts like the shitty teenager he was when we were younger, annoying me and insulting me for every interaction. (coughs) Excuse me, then getting surprised that I still shut down and ignore him. And ask the other one how he feels when he and his baby mother tells their daughter that being gay is bad, then tell me to look after and buy her shit. Wow, that must really fucking hurt. You know, it amazes me how people can not see that their homophobic views apply to the person they have in their life that is gay. How, how they can separate those two things and not think that that person takes it personally. Uh, What if anything do you wish for a desk job where I can sit in a cubicle, put on an hour and a half plus long podcast, do my work, ignore everyone, get done early to work on my blogs, have health insurance and move far away from my family in New York City in general because I hate this place. You know, there's a saying in a recovery that, uh, you know, there's a term called a geographic where we... Feel that if we just move away, that all our problems are going to be solved. And while some of the problems may be solved of, you know, distancing ourselves from toxic people uh, or enmeshment, we're still going to have to do with the feelings that are going to come up because something is going to trigger them. Um, have you shared these things with others? Uh, most of them in uh, his support group for codependency. That's awesome that you are in. You are in that. Because that is support groups I can't say enough good things about. Obviously, it depends on the support group. But uh, how do you feel after writing these things down? Feeling good. I love reading that. I love reading that. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Support groups worked for me to help deal with changing my thoughts and actions and figuring out my feelings. Figuring out my feelings, actually addressing that I'm mad about something or uncomfortable was a huge step. To getting to my real issues. Oh, this is so good. This is so good. Do you have any comments to make the podcast better? I never know how much to go into my past for the first half of this survey as I'm coming to write in a new shameful thing. Do I repeat all the abuses each time? Cliff notes gloss over. There's nothing wrong with putting that, uh, you know, if this is the second time you're filling out a survey to putting that stuff in again, because, for one, I have a terrible memory, and two, uh, you know, somebody listening to it, um, pff, there's a good chance they didn't hear your first survey, so yeah, that's all good, and thank you for sharing that that stuff. I really appreciate when you guys go deep like uh, like you did. This is a shame and secret survey, and this was filled out by, um, and this is our last survey. Um, this is filled out by a woman who calls herself Wildflower. And she is uh, pansexual, and then in parentheses, don't tell my parents, And a bunch of exclamation points. Um, she's in her 20s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Uh, yes, and I reported it, and also some stuff happened, and I don't know if it counts. Um, she was raped while serving overseas for uh, a U.S. government service corps, um, and I'll skip through, um, it, was, it was violent and it was, as you can imagine, awful, and um, yeah, he was sadistic. And then she writes, the government agency tried to get me to get out and end my service because of my, quote, high-risk behavior. The lengths that people will go to to cover their ass and protect a corporation or an organization to the detriment of a human being never ceases to amaze me. Less than 48 hours after my rape, the doctor of the agency told me to please, please learn from this. A cohort member of mine, several months later, after seeking a sexual encounter, asked me, didn't I learn my lesson? The judges let him go because I didn't scream or have physical injuries. Therefore, my story seemed implausible. Man, that... That is some hall of fame, victim-blaming and shaming that you have had to deal with. I'm so sorry. Um, Some stuff happened when I was younger that was definitely questionable and disturbing, and I realized I could use my body for attention. Uh, I've had a counselor tell me it was normal, but it doesn't feel normal. As I look back, it repulses me. And that's, you know, whether or not something is a common occurrence in childhood is irrelevant if the feelings they left in the wake of it are still bothering us. That's, that's the important thing is to separate whether something is prosecutable or the intent of the, the person that harmed us or whether it was a common occurrence because healing isn't as much about addressing the people that hurt us as it is processing the feelings that are left in the in the wake. Uh, unfortunately, I only have tiny pieces of memory, so I don't know what actually happened. Um, she's also been physically and emotionally abused. Her mom has borderline personality disorder. Her brother is violent and... Um, she experiences a lot of dissociation. Any positive experiences with people who have abused you? Uh, My brother, he has two children that I love more than anything in the world, and he is nice to to me now nine times out of ten, but when he is mean, it's so mean, and it hurts so badly, it's confusing as hell. Boy, those are the relationships that are so freaking complicated I don't know why I was afraid to say fucking that are so fucking complicated because it's we just keep getting drawn back in and then the knife gets put in and it 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 makes for some crazy making my mother the same as my brother uh, I can't follow I never could they both hate me more than the others and love me more than the others as an adult I am still so fucking confused and it hurts but I think it would hurt more uh, to stand up for myself. I am also bipolar. Yeah, you know, it might hurt to stand up for yourself in the short run, but in the long run, I don't think that that would be the case. I've never heard somebody regret standing up for themselves. Uh, I'm also bipolar and have ADHD along with my PTSD. I don't handle hurt. I don't handle being hurt well, and I don't enjoy aggression or anger. I'm doing my best to never react to them ever again, but I just can't do it yet. I know they don't deserve my emotions, but I can't seem to make the situation any different. Growing up, everyone always told me I was victimizing myself, and now that I am a real victim in all of this, I can't seem to fully claim it without believing no one will believe me how badly it hurts. You know, to me... Exposing ourselves to people who invalidate our pain and our reality is a way of keeping that wound open. And I think it's so hard to heal when we put ourselves in the company of people that are cruel or invalidating. It's really hard to grow. Darkest Thoughts. I wouldn't mind cutting my family off for a while, but the kids are my heart, and I currently need the financial support. Just saying, that makes me feel guilty. And then the parentheses, Large Irish Catholic Family. I am the youngest of five with four older brothers. I sometimes imagine myself like Jennifer Lopez in Enough and training forever until I was strong enough and smart enough to go back to the island and face my rapist, lock him in a room in an isolated area with no one to reach out for help, and terrorizing him like he did me. I imagine water being involved somehow. I would just leave him there and walk out like fucking Wonder Woman before I broke down and cry, and I would pay some kid a dollar to go untie him. I would also confront the men who cheated on me with my newfound confidence and hot body. Darkest secrets. I had an orgasm while I was raped, and that uh, doubly makes me want to fucking die and be left to rot. You know, it is so common for people to have an orgasm during an unwanted sexual experience. And... um while I never had an orgasm per se during an unwanted sexual experience, um, I did experience arousal and I blamed myself forever. And I don't do that anymore because the adult that was responsible in that situation should have never put me in that place. And I know... If you're listening, just me saying that isn't going to take away that feeling. But I have to say it because it just sucks that people suffer and blame their bo- <coughs> their body. You know, our body and our souls. I don't know, what is there, a mace in here? Jesus. <coughs> Our body and our souls can experience two completely different things at the same time. Also, the week I was raped, I had slept with two guys that week, a current and an ex. It was the first time I ever cheated on anyone, and I didn't care about any of them. I was just using sex to fill the holes in my self-love and gaps in my mental health care and lack of my diagnosis or having never received counseling. As you can imagine, I contributed 10 times as much to the victim-blaming. I was a whore who had a lot of sex with nasty people anyway, so maybe I was asking for it. I don't believe this now. I haven't had sex since the incident, which was nearly three years ago. I haven't danced since that night. I'm doing all of the work to get better, but I just want to feel alive again for one night. In the last year, I have quit drinking, almost one year sober. That's so fantastic, and that's so, that is such a big hurdle. To overcome in healing. I, I, you know, I believe that it is almost impossible to heal while engaging in compulsive behaviors because that's, you know, we use that as an escape and we have to feel those feelings that we don't want to feel to heal. And the compulsive behavior just numbs those feelings and delays the, the process. Uh, I quit smoking cigarettes after 10 years and quit my nightly pot smoking habit. It hurts to face reality, but I know I'm doing what's right. I don't have a support group outside of my counselor and a few friends. I'm currently doing all of this while completing a pre-med school program with aspirations to start med school next year. Wow. You are a fucking badass, man. You are a warrior. You are a warrior, If you were here, I would give you a fucking high five. Man, I want to be a primary care physician who also does mental health counseling to be able to care for anyone and listen to fucking everyone. I have the keen skills of noticing pain and trauma in others, and I will use all of this fucking bullshit to just listen and bear witness for others while providing them dignified care for their physical bodies. Wow. You know, and this is to me is such a great example of the, you know, the term, the wounded healer, you know, the people who have experienced difficult things can really become the best healers if they process their stuff, because the insight and the compassion and the understanding they can have for someone who's suffering can be so much deeper than somebody who's merely learned it in a, in a textbook. Um, she's not comfortable sharing her f- sexual fantasies. Uh, anything you'd like to share with someone you haven't been able to so many things, all of the things dot, dot, dot. What if anything do you wish for? I want to be able to fight to find the right set of medications so I can feel stable. I want to go a full three months without wanting to die. I want a love in my life someday. Not the BS Disney kind, but the kind I deserve and will work for and with. A best friend who gets me, really gets me, and me, them, and who loves to have sex. Have you shared these things with others? Not really. People always fucking, fucking, fucking say, oh yeah, a lot of people deal with that. No shit. I'm talking about fucking me. I need people to see me and my pain. I think that's why a support group would be such a great addition to what you're doing right now, but it, you know, it sounds like you got a lot on your, on your plate. Um, How do you feel after writing these things down? I've been crying this whole time. Paul, your podcast found me a few months after the incident, as I was up alone in the mountains, broken and depressed. Despite never subscribing to anything or filling out a survey before today, I've been listening to your podcast regularly for the past few years. It has been an irreplaceable supplement to my mental health care regime and sometimes complimented at my ability to speak about and recognize many mental health topics, etc. And I attribute so much of that comfort and confidence to you, your guests and your validation for all of us listeners here on the other side. Wow. That means a lot to me. That really does. And it's funny because it, it's, I don't feel like I'm on the other side. It feels like a like a community to me because I, even though I'm the one with a microphone, I feel very much um, um, a part of the group. You know, people sometimes if they thank me for the podcast, you know, I, I always say I get as much out of it as anybody else. It has helped me heal. It helps me feel less alone. It helps give me a sense of meaning and purpose, and um, I'm, I'm super grateful. Uh, is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? It's not your fault, baby. You're beautiful and deserve the love and kindness that resides in your core that you have covered with hate and anger and bitterness. You can be, vulner- you can be vulnerable in this ugly world, and yes, it's ugly but you are fucking fabulous. And in parentheses, to me and to everyone else. Wow. Thank you so much for that. So, so much. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And um, as I'm looking out the window right now, I'm looking at the mountains and the sleet. Yes, I wish it was snow, but I'll accept sleet. I'm, I'm grateful that I'm even able to, to come up here into the mountains and to still be able to do this podcast as my full-time job. And I never thought that I could feel this way. I never thought that I could feel peace and connection. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing, and I'm so glad that I didn't kill myself when I was thinking about it 50 times a day for years. And I'm glad I I'm glad I hung in there, and I hope anybody listening tonight that <clears throat> is doubting whether or not they can hang in there. I hope I hope you do, because help is out there, and um, you're not alone.